Okay, we're ready to go? Okay. It's amazing that God knows what he's doing. When I started to strip together this word, it was wonderful. I had the usual juncture of dealing with Pastor Tony. We was on the plane and he started laughing. And it was like, um, oh, by the way, yes, I meant to have told you that I'm away. So you're preaching Sunday. Oh, thanks, T. So thank you, Pastor Tony. We're back in. But instantly when he told me, something just checked in my spirit. And the Lord gave me a, a scripture to launch from that we'll get to in a little bit. But this is what I'm talking about. He knows what he's doing. I very rarely put titles to things that I preach. I just give the subject and the sound guys put any title they want on it. But the title that I felt yesterday was up early doors. The dog had decided at four o'clock in the morning, hey, the sun's out. It's time to get up. Let's all be barking and be crazy. And I've got this terrible thing that if I wake up, then I'm awake. That's it. I'm awake. So from four in the morning, that's it. I might as well do some stuff that I need to do. But I felt the Lord gave me um, a title for this morning's message, fitting it in the context of what we're talking about today. And the context is this, the mouse that roared. I have a subtitle because I was getting greedy, so then I decided to have two. I now normally have none, but this morning we have two. So the subtitle is this, how do you eat an elephant? So the title is, The Mouse That Roared, How Do You Eat an Elephant? Okay, let's get going. Pastor Tony has been touching over the last few months. He's been starting to touch about the mountains of culture. Would that be right? Have you been in the same place as I've been in? So Tony's been touching on the mountains of culture. The culture being media, government, family, religion, the economy, education, arts and entertainment. Those very mountains in the first place, when you start to think about it, always seem bigger than us. And I don't know about you, if you're going to be honest, I'm going to be honest. What's that got to do with me? So it's only me and Chris who's going to be honest enough, living here in the land of Tameside. What's it going to do with me? You know, you can look at it and they can become so overwhelming and so far away that we always just think it's things that people talk about, and I'll put that down on my list of, oh, do you know about the mountains of culture? Take that one. We've done mountains of culture, along there with elementary teachings. But there was four points that instantly just popped into my head, and that was, does it involve me? Where do I fit in? Are we taking over the world, which is always a good idea, and are we talking about now, or are we talking about somewhere else? So these are kind of questions that are bouncing around. But there are some basic premises that I want to try and help us with this morning. So my kind of road of attack is twofold. I'm going to vision cast. I'm going to get some vision seed, cast it out this morning. But also, I want to be very practical. Is it all right if we get practical? I can, if you want to be, get super spooky spiritual and talk about the YB blue yonder and we have this and that. And I can build something that leaves it all really mystical Or we can kind of just baseline it. Should we baseline? Baseline work for us? Okay, then we'll baseline it. Our reference point is this. Tony's talked about the mountains, but in Hebrews 12 and 22, 
I'll just probably be quoting scriptures this morning for speed. It declares this. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heaven Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. And of course, the scripture then goes on. I don't want to take any extra time this morning, because Pastor Tony's been doing a very good job, to show us how there is a mountain that sits above all mountains. And it's not Everest. You see, if we're all in school now, we're doing geography, and we're in our geography examination, and question is, what is the highest mountain? How are you going to respond? Everest, wouldn't you? But here we go back to this morning, the difference between truth and fact. A fact is that Everest is the tallest mountain. What is the truth? But Zion is the mountain above all mountains. Amen? So we come to this basic place, and the basic place is this, that we already answered the question, or should I say Julia answered the question for us when we set it out. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. There are many things that we face in life that seem so overwhelming, too big, so far-reaching. The bottom line is we think, I'll start it tomorrow, I'll look at it tomorrow, or even worse, we push it to the back of our minds and forget about it. Do you know they tell you, or I am told they tell you because I've not been to one of these classes, but they will tell you that when you go to your diet class and you're going to lose some weight, They don't tell you to set your goals so far in front. So you might say, I want to lose three stone. They go, all it'll do is disillusion you because you think, look how much I want to lose. So they'll set the goal of, what I'm going to do is lose two pounds. If I can lose two pounds, then I can celebrate the victory of that two pounds. And then the following week, look to do another two pounds. Would that be fair? So... The Lord's intention this morning is not to turn around and say, look at the journey that the church has to make of how do we eat our elephant, but why don't we just start? So this is God's encouragement to us this morning from Luke 12 and verse 32. It declares this, do not fear little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Thank you for your underwhelming response. It's the Father's good pleasure, little flock, to give you the kingdom. See, we live life so often in isolation, just me, myself, and I, as Tony would put it, the Holy Trinity, me, myself, and I, or it's me, you, and a dog named Boo, whichever one you want. Life is evolved around me, the problems that I face, the circumstances, my needs, my wants, my cares, my dreams, my aspirations. Whatever it is, they're the things that we build as being priority in our life. When God said, if we just lift our heads slightly and you can see what I can see, how things become so much different. Your perspective changes when you see him in light of who he is. Amen. The great delusion about these mountains of culture, whether we said it was education, it was politics, it was family, whatever, wherever those mountains are, the great delusion is this. It's speaking to people who are in politics, it's speaking to high-end businessmen, and it's speaking to somebody who runs the Bank of England. So we can always just disassociate ourselves and say, it's not speaking to me. 
Why? Because I'm just a little guy. I'm a normal housewife. I'm a normal bloke who works in a factory or I've got a just nine to five job. I can think that these mountains are talking about and we need to pray for special people who's going to go and do something that I can't do. Would that be quite fair? But you know, there's a very basic premise that God uses that I love. Because it puts us all in the picture a little bit. And that is from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Okay, not enough? Well, let's add a bit more. Ecclesiastes 9.11. For the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. I kind of get the feeling from those two verses, we're in. We're in. We're not the smartest. We're not the strongest. We're not the fastest. But God has sat in his throne room saying, but guess what? I have made a plan that fits you in. If we're all on the spiritual, I've got the X factor, we haven't. But guess what? There is one cross that put us all in. Oh, yeah, I'll let you do your homework on that one. It's okay. Think about it. We got well. Thanks, Calf. Calf got that one straight away. There is something that builds us all in to his plans and purposes. Amen? If we stop seeing ourselves as being individuals and see ourselves as a corporate body, as a tribe, as a nation found in him, there is so much more corporate strength. Ralph, can you just play a little bit of video? I want to show you a piece of video this morning. Hopefully it'll help. I'll keep talking. I'll keep talking. Is that he's on the way? It's coming, Ralph. He's just programming it now as we go. Thinking about it. Yeah, here we go. Hopefully that helps to illustrate just something a little bit this morning. That's when we have an individual voice and we're talking to something much bigger than us, there's not a lot. But when we start to get groundswell and we have a voice together, things change. So we say, right, I might not be the one who's going to tackle education or tackle 
politics, finance, whatever it is. But if there is a people movement that starts to happen, you can't ignore a people movement. But we're not just suddenly all become, you know, spiritual, political activists. We're not doing that. We're talking about a life that, when it reflects him, that holds him and responds to him, things will be different. I penned a phrase yesterday, and I like my phrase. I didn't pen it yesterday. I penned it on Friday. Yeah, that was it. I penned it on Friday, but I liked the phrase I used. The phrase I penned was this, paycheck or possibility. Paycheck or possibility. There you go. And the bell just rang. The bell rang. It just, it just, ding. It just worked with someone there. Now, paycheck or possibility. Our jobs and vocations are things that we do every day in our mundane, everyday life. Do we see it, the places that we are? Are they possibilities or is it just a paycheck? Am I stuck in my nine-to-five roots doing the same thing, same, same way, day in, day out? Or are things different? Do I see that as being my mission field? You see, there is a craziness that falls on the church. Craziness that falls on the church is like this. Pastor Tony is in the ministry. I go to work. No. I am in the ministry 24-7 just as much as the man who has his name above the door. Should we tell you that again? That each one of us is in the ministry. Each one of us represents the Christ. Each one of us is a new creation. Each one of us is an ambassador of the king. But when I go to work and I just see it as putting a roof over my head and food on the table, I lose the essence of where the power is. I'll give you some biblical background and demonstrations how things work. Okay. Joseph, use a few characters for you this morning. So we're going to be practical. Joseph, from a hole to the throne. Immaturity, lack of wisdom, got him in trouble. He shut off his mouth before something had been established in him. God started to show him what he was going to do in his life, but what did he do? I'm going to put it on news at 10. Guys, you think you're good, but you're nowhere near as good as I'm going to be. Something rose in the heart of his brothers and they put him down. But do you realize that when you read the scripture, that God had to change the state of Joseph nine times? See, we all do it. We've been there. We've seen the cabaret show. Joseph and his technical dream coat. And, we've had, and it's red, dan, yellow, and green, and blue, and purple, and orange, and violet, and all those bits. And we can all sing the song, but miss the story. Because Joseph was clothed in the son of a house. That cloak was then changed to give him a cloak of many colors. Then when he cheesed his brothers off, and they decided to not kill him, but say he was dead and sell him into slavery, he was stripped naked and thrown into a hole. He then wore the clothes of a slave. From the clothes of a slave, he was dressed to be put into Potiphar's house. In Potiphar's house, he was reclothed to become the head 
of the house. From the head of Potiphar's house, he was clothed again to be placed in prison. From being in prison, he was clothed again to become head of the prison. From being the head of the prison, he had to be clothed again to be able to be dressed and stand before Pharaoh. And then from standing before Pharaoh, he had to be reclothed to become the ruler of Egypt. His state changed over and over again. But there's something that we learn from this story, and it's not how many times or how big his wardrobe is. We learn from Joseph that he was exceptional and diligent in whatever he did. From being a slave, he could have that attitude of, woe is me. Look at me, I was favorite in my dad's house. I had the best army and navy suit that was going. Everybody loved me. They were all watching to see what I was doing. Where am I now? I've been taken. I've been unjustly taken. I've been beaten up. My dad thinks I'm dead. I'm sold into slavery. I'm in a land where I don't even speak the language. I'm a slave. Look at me. I think he's got every right to sit and have a moan. Wouldn't you? But something is inside of him that causes him, his attitude and aptitude, to be exceptional wherever he is, no matter what circumstances put him there. Note to self, write that one down. Note to self, you might have felt like you've had your pants pulled down, you're on minimum wage, I'm doing a job that I can't stand. It doesn't make any difference. Are you still going to be exceptional in that environment? You know, we said that it came from the hole to the throne. The awesome scripture in all of this is that when Joseph is talking to his brothers, and it's in Genesis 45, verse 8, it says this, So now it was not you who sent me here. So he's not blaming his brothers. He sees now the beginning from the end. He sees God's timeline. He said, but God has made me father of Pharaoh. And the Lord of all his house and the ruler throughout the land of Egypt. If he was going to sit and moan and complain about his circumstances, how life has done him down, how his family's done him in, will he ever get to this place? Will he ever get to this place? But the workings of God in his heart enable something. Here's something that we get lost in. Have you ever heard it when we turn around and say, what we need is the spirit of excellence in the church. And we put the spirit of excellence being the color of your carpet, the way that we present, the way we do music, the way we do our publications, how do people view your website, how do we dress? How are you greeted at the door? Which are all worthy of being dealt with. But when it says in Scripture that they had an excellent spirit, it meant they knew how to hear from God and respond from that place. So when we look at a spirit of excellence, please don't look at our ceiling, because you're not getting a spirit of excellence. You're getting something that's falling down. The spirit of excellence is found inside of you and I, not in this environment. So the same thing, the attitude 
attitude and application of how we find ourselves in everyday life will determine whether we affect and infect the mountains or just people go, you're that grumpy mare who lives next door. She's the one or he's the one to avoid. They're the ones don't get caught in conversation. Why? Because you're a spiritual nutter. You talk rubbish, but you actually can't demonstrate what you tell somebody about. Or you lift the bar so high for everybody else's life, you're nowhere near it, but you say, well, this is God's standard and you must raise it. As that, that's got to be the fruit of been many of our lives over history. If it's not today, it's been there, hasn't it? Yeah. But let me let you into a tiny key. It's a tiny key that will change your life. There is dignity in labor. Hello? There is dignity in labor. It doesn't matter what you do to pay your bills. There is dignity in the fact that you're a worker. Okay. Still speaking of Joseph... Genesis 45, 33 to 34. He says this to his brothers. But when Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, we are servants and we have tended livestock. The verse goes on to say that all shepherds are detestable in Egypt. But guess what? I might be a shepherd, but I'm a good one. You might be a cleaner, but you're a good one. Whatever you do, do you do it with your whole heart? Are you do it as an example? Do you do it, it reflects Christ? Or are you there, paycheck, or see it as being a possibility? What do we go to work for? We all know that we need to go to work to put and supply for things in our lives. But every day, as we said, Pastor Tony, in the ministry full-time, gets to stand here for an hour a week, and he does his other stuff. Are we not in the world more than he is? Do we probably meet more people than he does on a weekly basis? Yeah. All this bit about seeing stuff, seeing things change, and building into the lives of other people is this. You might not have all of the answers. Who has got all of the answers? I can assure you, Pastor Tony hasn't got all of the answers. But what we can do is say this. We don't know, but let me bring you and introduce you to the God who does. People look at our lives and see what's different. Do you know this whole thing about being a cleaner? There is as much dignity in being a cleaner and doing it well than what there is being a top executive. Oh, yeah, you might eat lunch in a different place. Your work apparel might be slightly different. But I can assure you there is just as much dignity providing for your family, getting up, meeting the needs, having the delight in yourself that you've done a good job and you've done it well. Whatever you've got, we need to be a people who can reflect who he is. There is a saying that at times can be slightly cliched, but I don't intend it to be cliched. I'll make it anyway. Sometimes you have to learn to clean the throne before you can sit on it. We see things as being below us. We see things as being mundane or just, I'm sorry, do you realize what I can do? It doesn't change 
when you have a responsibility of saying, I have a family to keep and I have commitments and obligations, you work to provide. But in that work, what is your attitude? See, I've met people <clears throat> from minimum wage to guys who earn an awful lot of cash. It's the spectrum is so wide, and I've seen the attitude of the person on minimum wage wipe the floor with the attitude of the guy over here who's now in a kind of the world owes me a living kind of thing, and he just stands there and just thinks that everybody should kowtow down to him because he's got a business card and he's got a metal plate upon his desk. I use this not in an offensive manner, but if it's you, it's offensive. If you're a dipstick, you're a dipstick. Sorry, we said we're going to be practical this morning. If you have character flaws, you have no people skills, and you think that you can ride over the back of somebody, you can do it here, but you have greater opportunity doing it here. And there was one lesson I learned when I was on my big days of working in the big companies and doing things in different ways. I dealt with um, one of the board members from McCann's, a wonderful lady called Evie, and she was helping me in my development. She was my mentor and different things. She said, Phil, I just want to tell you this. Mark this down. She said, you want to write this down? She said, because it's quite good. You've got your promotion and things have changed and it's all wonderful. But you'll know what this saying is, and that is, be good to the people on the way up because they're the same people you'll meet on the way down. Yeah? How do we treat people? And how do people treat us? Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 8 says this. I'm using the message for this translation. Don't just do what you do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants, doing, God want, doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face. Take the lemon out and put a smile in its place. Always keeping in mind that no matter what happens and who is giving the orders, you're serving God. Life will always dictate and circumstances will dictate. You will often get the mucky end of the stick rather than the good end. Or is it just me? There'll be more opportunities in life to have the mucky end than the good end. But wherever you are, whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly. Do it, do it as before the Lord. And why don't some of you try having a smile fitted? Do you know, you've got all of these adverts on TV, haven't you, from liposuction, get rid of your wrinkles, lift your bum, tuck your tummy, do whatever you're going to do. I think the best thing that they could ever sell is get a smile fitted. Because if you can get a smile fitted, it's amazing the difference a smile has when you're in environments. I will tell you about the crazy world that Kevin and I are starting to just, the door is swinging open slightly. And you know already, people are telling you the rules. If you want the rules, go and speak to the little fellow over there, Andy. He knows about these rules better than any of us. Do you want to know what the crazy rules are? No brown around town. 
Oh, yeah, you see, you're interested now, aren't you? On Phil's fashion advice. No brown around town that if you go to the city and you're in a meeting, brown shoes are not allowed. No brown around town. Guess what? Who wears brown? Uh, Chris is wearing brown. Sorry, Chris, you're not coming. The other part is this, in the land of craziness. No red ties. Never wear a red tie because it's deemed as being aggressive. That if you go and you are buying from somebody a service and you're offering, sorry, you're offering a service to somebody, then you must take the passive position. So the passive position is you should wear a pale yellow tie or a blue tie, light blue tie. That way you are not deemed as being aggressive in the environment. This is the crazy nutcase world of people. You want to get into a place with Kev where Kev knows no rules. I see we all know Kev. Kev knows no rules. Kev doesn't care about rules, and Kev will be Kev, which can be very refreshing and very much fasten your seatbelt, we're going somewhere. It, but all at the same time, and I say that in great love and honor for the guy, it can be those moments. But when you are introduced to an MD of multi, multi, multi-million pound companies, and your introduction is, all right, mate, have you listened to the latest Kanye West album? Might be slightly different. We've all had a conversation with Kev, have we not? We've had those random conversations of, I was just in Tesco, and have you seen the price of an organic chicken? That is, we don't care about red ties and brown shoes. The fact that they even let us in the building is probably a step forward in the right direction. But, but I told you in February there was a testimony brewing. Did I not? Do you remember? And I said, when something has come to the fore, then we'll speak about it. Well, I'm just letting you know that we're working on it. Don't worry. <laughs> now, maybe we're going to have a meeting this week. And how, depending how that meeting goes this week or next week, there'll be a testimony. But it's good. It's good for us. But do you know, can I be honest? I'm trying to be honest anyway, but can I be a bit more honest? There are times when you can't share things in-house for one reason. It will do you more harm than it will do me good. I can share about the goodness of God. I can share how God opens doors. I can share about how things have changed and how environments have changed and where we're in and what we do. Not everybody wants to be as blessed as you are. So what I mean by that is, why you and not me? Why are you God's favorite? What's going on with that? It's because you know Pastor Tony. I can assure you that doesn't open many doors. It closes more than it opens. But again, I'll let you into, we've been practical this morning, Yes? Get off your backside and stop waiting for the promise. Stop waiting for God to do everything. My own hands, Paul says, have provided for my own needs. I looked at the field of the lazy man. 
Read the proverb. Has he got a field? So he's got stuff. What's in the field? He's got a crop in the field. So he's not waiting for, if I sow seed, will anything happen? So he's got something to work. He's sowed seed in the field. But I looked at the field of the lazy man. It was overgrown and good for nothing. We often like to quote from Genesis, don't we? And these will remain. Seed time. Seed time and... Okay. So many of us don't read Genesis, right? It's Old Testament. Seed time and harvest. And that's where we stop. There is a third which makes it work. The law of productivity. Seed time, harvest, and then start the process all over again. That's for another day. But okay, on our Jeremy Kyle hit of this morning, we've used Joseph, and how Joseph could have been so cheesed off because of what his brothers did to him, how they sold him down the river, how they made money off his back, how he's made a slave, and all the time he thinks that things are never going to get any better for him, and then when it does get better and he becomes head of the household, he's got everything going for him, Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him, and because of his own integrity, he gets him in trouble. Note to self. There'll be a few of these this morning. Note to self. When I choose the right thing, people will not always respond in the right way to it. I don't do that. Well, don't come back. We had an instance this year, I'll tell you, Kevin and I, where somebody turned around and made a statement to us. They said, write me an invoice for £120,000 so I can use that against my tax bill and we'll give you a little bit of a... No. But in making that choice, we could have lost the huge piece of business that we were just walking into. Somebody wanted an invoice up front for works that had never been done and maybe not going to be done, but they were using it to balance their own books. I looked at Kev. Kev looked at me. We went, this is bigger than a business card, Kev. Yeah, fine. It didn't sit right with us. And then we phoned our accountant. Look, somebody's just asked us to do this. You already know it's not right. And the accountant goes, if you do that, you know you're going to prison, don't you? Right, well, I don't think I need... But all the time, when you do what's right, doesn't necessarily mean that people respond in like manner. Oh, bless that Andy Duffield. He's a man of integrity. Get rid of him. There are more people wearing suits and ties who will rob you on a daily basis than you being in downtown Manchester on a dark, cold alley night and there's a tap on your shoulder saying, where's your mobile phone? There's more people who will look at you and smile and you don't realize you're being robbed than the ones who's going to hold you up at knife point, I can assure you. But meanwhile, back at Jeremy Kyle. We have the Jeremy Kyle show. So think of it this morning, Jeremy Kyle, it's just got up. You've got up, you've still got your jammers on. You're there, you've got a brew and a piece of toast. Jeremy Kyle comes on, it says this morning, have you been in a situation where you've been isolated where you've been set apart, where you've been dumbed down by your family, and it's not fair, this morning's episode of Jeremy Kyle. Let's roll in David, the shepherd boy. So here's the story of David. He's faithfully, the scripture tells us, he's faithfully taking care 
of his father's flock. Yes? Even at the danger of losing his own life. It's not his flock. It's his father's flock. But the scripture tells us how that when the lion and the bear came, how he fought them, he killed them off. Why? Because even though this doesn't belong to me, my own integrity, what I am will stand and say, Chris has put me in charge of this. I will guard it the same way as it belonged to me than if it belonged to him. Paycheck or possibility. Do I just get by? Or do I see this as being, this is my business that I'm working in? Well, I see the answer there. <laughs> in all that we do, how do we represent? So even though David is undervalued, David is minimized, David is isolated, he's not number one on the Jeremy Kyle show. He's not crying about it. He's not kicking up a fuss. How does the story go? Samuel the prophet, one of the first pictures of you see almost of Christ, because he's a prophet, priest, and king. He was the priest of the nation. He was the prophet to and of the nation. And he stood in a kingly position before we even had a king. Have you read your Bibles? It's in there. So you see these instances that are put through. Well, this is where the story starts to unfold. Saul has been put down because his heart has gone against God. So God turns around and says, today the throne has been moved or removed from you. And he tells Samuel, Samuel, anoint me a new king. So that is the story. That's where we're picking it up from, okay? 1 Samuel 16.1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him? Ask uh, as king over Israel, fill your home with oil, be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel's got the word, go get Jesse. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Are we all right with the story so far? We all clear? Okay, verses four and five. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. This is the biggest name you're ever going to meet. This is not Justin Bieber. This is not David Beckham. You were talking about the mover and shaker of that entire known part of the world is coming to town. So why is he coming to town? Because if he's coming, he better be coming to say good things and not give me a slap. This is the man that the scripture says that all of the armies did not invade Israel when Samuel took the throne. He governed something that the borders were completely protected. People knew the clout that he had. So he says, uh, they asked, have you come in peace? First bit. You're here, you don't normally turn up. Is everything all right? Yeah? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Well, Jeremy, so David, what's your problem? Well, first, number one, it was the biggest party in town. David Beckham I turned up with all his entourage. It was all going on. Where was I? 
Where was my invite to all of this? No, the family was meant to love me. They're meant to care for me. They're meant to protect me. No, was I one of the fancy ones? No, I wasn't one of the fancy ones. Where was I? I'm stuck up a hill. I'm stuck up a hill with my dad's flock. That's what I'm doing. I fought a bear this morning. Nobody's thanking me. There's no big sacrifice and fancy workout for me. I'm killing bears up there, buddy. It's the Mancunian version that I'm reading from. 1 Samuel 16, 10 to 13. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So we asked Jesse, have you got any more? Because if you've not got any more, I'm greatly mistaken. If you've not got any more kids, then do you know what? These need checking because something is out of alignment. Are all these the sons that you have? Jesse's response, they're still the youngest. Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So they sent for him and they had him brought in. He was glowing with health. It's just like looking at me this morning, isn't it? He was glowing with health, fine in appearance, handsome in features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers And then from that day of the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and Samuel returned to Ramah. He's not invited to the party. All his brothers are put through. His dad doesn't even say, poor little fella, send one of the servants out, get our David in. He left him because he has no value. They bring him in and he is anointed before his family and his brothers as being the next king of Israel. We're in, are we not backstage, Jeremy Kiley? I tell you, just, you can laugh and see the way that lives unfold, yes? But even in this moment, he's anointed king. Samuel returns. Where does David go? Back to his responsibility. Paycheck or possibility. He goes back to faithfully look after his father's sheep. The scripture goes on to say that he's then called into Saul's court where he learns to play the banjo. So he's playing the banjo. He's got it all going on. He's the entertainment. He's the the midnight matinee that's all going on that causes the, the spirit that comes upon Saul to lessen down. So he's here. It then turns around that his dad calls him. Get out of that palace, you, you scallywag. Not only are you neglecting this sheep now because you think your pals were the king. Take these cheese and ham butties to your brothers who is getting ready to fight this Goliath. They're not fighting anybody, by the way. They're standing over there. I'm standing over there. You shout at me. I shout at you. Nothing's changing. But it says, now take this cheese and refreshments to your brothers. (laughs) Excuse me. Do I, anointed king, look like an errand boy? Since when am I the one responsible? We've got a a household here of servants. Why am I doing meals on wheels? Why am I doing pack lunch or us? Attitude, aptitude, and application. The spirit that got him to the place where God said, there is no one with the same heart as David must keep you when promotion comes. 
Because it's amazing how much we want to pray, we want to read, we want to believe on the promises of God, we want to see things change until your situation changes. Shall I tell you what is the biggest problem of success? Success. Because one, you forgot what got you there. Two, you forget how much your knees had blisters and calluses from how much you prayed. And secondly, the blood, sweat, and tears that got you there in the first place. I don't think there's going to be that many of us who hit the 93 million pounds euro lottery win because I don't do the lottery, but my Auntie Mary went, do you know what? I just thought I'd give you this. Look at me, I've got 93 million quid. Auntie Mary, she's crying in the corner now. I don't care. I've got a legal kind of restraint order on her, so she can't come near me. <laughs> Somebody just doesn't give you everything. You work towards it, but when you work and you see the value, how easy it is to lose God in that journey. And I tell you that from experience. Because it's amazing how much you can pray for bigger contracts, for things to change, for your situation to change, to then have your life dictated to by the bigger contracts. And the, Do you know what I've, I've realized? I'm only a simple guy. You know that. But I've realized this. People might give you a lot, but they demand a pound of flesh. And somewhere down the line, somebody wants your soul. Some will sell it for a fiver. Some will sell it for a grand. Some will sell it for a lot more. But either way, there's a price on your soul. Will you stay clean and clear in all of that? So it's great. We've looked at two people this morning. Wonderful, Phil. You've pulled two names out of Hebrews 11, the giants of Scripture. There's Joseph. He's running Egypt. You've got David. He's going to be the king. So what? He's done, a, he's done the butty run. So what? All juniors do the butty run. And we've not got any normal people. Well, funny you should ask. 2 Kings 5 says this. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory over Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. No bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Jerry McHale, episode three. I am taken from my environment as a slave. I am now forced to be the handmaiden. It might be a handmaiden in a nice palace. But it's a handmaid in a nice palace, which is still a prison to you. Puts her in that environment. And she could turn around and go, well, there you go. Leprosy, that'll teach you, you skank. I would. You've taken me from my future, from my home, from my family, from my home. You've brought me to this environment and forced me to take care of this lady, to be her handmaiden, to fetch and carry for her, to do whatever. And look at you, Mr. I'm a soldier. Got leprosy. You know what's happening to you, fella? You've got a worse house than I've got. But what is the response? Something rises inside of her and says, if he will go and see the prophet in Samaria, he'll heal him. It's not the words that she said. It's the fact that when she spoke, 
What she did, someone listened. You might be cleaning. You might be Mr. Invisible. People might pass you in the corridor. It doesn't make any difference. Whether you're David, you're Joseph, you're the servant girl, you might be in the back end of nowhere, God's still got your address. But if we take that attitude of whatever we do, we do wholeheartedly, as before the Lord, with a smile on our face, we allow the fruit of the Christ to come through. All the time we're going, where's the gift? Let's get it all going. Who can I prophesy over? No, shut your gob. Shut your mouth and be the Christ rather than looking to do everything else, people take notice. Do you realize there's more people looking at you than you actually realize? They might not say anything, but they watch your life. They watch how things are going. I remember when, again, I was in the bigger company, there was times when people, they did have the Friday fun. You know what Friday fun is? Right, let's get the lions out. Get that Christian. Get them get out. And they'd have that bit of banter, and they'd have a go with you, and all that kind of stuff. And you go, well, if God's God, what about this? And they put you on mastermind. The light comes on, you know, you sit in the chair. They're all around there, knives and forks like the lions are, going, right, here we go. Let's see if we can get him. And they're bouncing at you. They're giving it all the stuff. But it's amazing how many of those people come in secret say, could you, my Auntie Mary's not too well, could you just, do you reckon uh, if you could just... They know there's something in there. They don't necessarily want to be associated with it in public. But when there's no difference between you and them, and you're the one who's slagging the boss all the time, and you're the one putting everything down, and you're the one just looking at your watch, five more minutes, we're going home, five more minutes, we're going home. It was a time when, for a small season, God gave me the wonderful experience of working with Angie's brother. I've lived with Angie, don't work with a brother. And I said to him, oh, you know when you're all giddy? It's the first day at work. So what's the best part about this job? Going home. Oh, right, fine. That's a good start. <laughs> We're in. My passion has been crushed on day one. <clears throat> what do we represent in the environments that we find ourselves? Question to you. If there is an employee of the month award or bonus structure in your company, is it you? If it's not you, why not? Maybe, note to self, have a word with myself. Because maybe I might feel like I've been in prison somewhere I don't want to be. I'm doing something I don't want to do. My boss has asked me to go over and above. What rises inside of me? Paycheck or possibility? If I'm just there for the cash, I'm just there for the cash. But if I can see it as being, this is my way into the mountain. There's only one of me, and I might shout, excuse me, and nobody hears me. But when we're all doing it, you know there should be no unemployment in the church. Oh, so you don't believe that one. There should be no unemployment in the church. Not just on the basic of saying we step into the blessing and provisions of God. But people should be banging down the door to employ you 
because of your integrity, your honesty, your work ethic, the way you handle yourself, you're good to be around. It should be, what's your CV? Have you got, have you got a CV? Yeah, I've got a church. Right, you're in. Got the job. I see we don't meet many of them people then, do we? <laughs> I'm not talking about a pipe dream. I'm talking about if you live the life that he talks about, how things will change. Let's rain on your parade just for a minute. Neither the world or God owes you a living. Neither the world or God owes you a living. We started to say before, I want to hear the promise. I want to say your grace will keep me. But yet, without the blood, sweat, and tears, me getting off my blessed assurance and going to do, there's not going to be a knock on your door. I've just decided, Veronica, that you need to be CEO of Care Manchester. All right, great. Well, you've heard my prayers, Lord. Your prayers don't change anything. You being and doing changes something. Who is the wise man? The one who hears these words of mine and does them. We want to see the world change. We want blessings, we want promotions, we want it all to change. But we see the bonus or the benefit in being the size of the paycheck rather than this is a fresh opportunity for Christ to be revealed. Right, we'll let that one go. Tumbleweed just go past on that one. Here's two scriptures. Quite pointed, but I didn't put them in to be pointed. One's the NIV and the other one's the message. But... The NIV says this in 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10. I'll give you some more hope in a minute. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man is not willing to work, he shall not eat. Get the entitlement mentality out of church. Thanks, Veronica. Get the entitlement mentality out of church. If you're not willing to work, then why should you eat? We're not talking about here people being in need. We know that we have our urgent needs fund. We know that we take care of our own. Whether it be Christmas or whatever, we take care of family. Do we not? But I will not bless you while I'm working and you're not. Okay, maybe that's just Phil doing his uh, Simon Cowell bit again. It's not a case of I work and you don't. We work. Why? Because it's the place where what God has put inside of you has an opportunity to shine. Shall I give you the message version now? You you might not want the message version. I'll give you the message version anyway. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. If anyone refuses to obey the clear command, a man does not work, he shall not eat, Uh, Written this letter, don't let him get by with it. Point out such a person and refuse to subsidize his freeloading. If a man will not work, do not put up with it and subsidize his freeloading. Why? Because you don't do him any favors. Shall read the next bit? Maybe then he'll think twice. Don't treat him as an enemy. Sit down and talk with him about the problem as someone who cares. 
There's Chris. He's struggling. He's not that he's in between jobs. Chris and I, we, we suffer from the same thing, Chris and I. We're now of the grey generation. You know what the grey generation is? In the end of the 80s, early 90s, they said that once you got to a certain age, 45 plus, you were surplus to requirements. Chris is not, because he's a very talented, good-looking man, like myself, because said we're very similar, Chris. So what they did was they cleared out the grey end of the market, and they let people like my Dan come in. <laughs> Say no more. But what they realized is that when they got rid of the grey market, they lost all the experience, they lost people skills, they lost people who actually knew what they were doing. Yes. Energy is great, but energy without a brain yes. is something completely different. So they're trying to bring the likes of Chris and I back. Yeah. But we go back to our question, or our statement that we made before. I might not work because I don't want to clean the throne. If you don't clean the throne, you're not sharing me chips. I can't get any more practical than this. I'm trying, I'm, please, I'm not trying to be dismissive in the statements that we make. We believe that together, Chris has got, remember, help him see the problem. The problem is, Chris, you, each of us must be a contributor. If I contribute and all you do is take, then we're out of balance. You might only contribute a little bit, but contribute. So help him in that process. Even Paul turns around and says, teach the thief not to steal anymore so that he might become a contributor. Yes. We give him skills. It'll take process. It'll take time. It's not saying you do everything tomorrow. But I don't want to clean toilets. Well, you won't need that knife and fork then, will you? You're not going to see someone starve. But that message comes across so clear. Stop subsidizing the freeloader. <laughs> and you know what if we're all honest if we're all honest in here this morning we all know one and you know what we all justify their behaviour because we love them they like them they're in transition it'll be alright tomorrow uh, he's been to an interview she's been to an interview oh it's our life was tough go and clean the loo if you have to so I'll give you some tips I've got five minutes left. I'll give you some tips. Quick tips. This will break or help to break the ceiling on your life. Because some of us think, I came out of school and maybe my exam results weren't the best. Maybe circumstances were different. Maybe I was forced out of education through family, my own situation, whatever. But you can break it. So some quick tips. Be committed to lifelong learning and the betterment of self. I don't think we're fighting that one, are we? Be committed to lifelong learning. Lifelong learning is, if I ask you the question, what book are you reading? It can't just be the Bible. Moving on, because we haven't got time to go into all of these. Keep growing and adding to your key skills. I'm in the office. Dead quick testimony. When I was doing my cleaning the throne job, I'd been in the building industry. That was closing because it was going into recession. I got an opportunity to get a job in an advertising agency working in their dark room. 
You go, right, it was dark room for a reason. I didn't wear glasses when I started that job, but you just literally was crawling around in the, in the dark for hours on end. You came out into the bright sunlight at the end of the day. It was an industrial dark room that I worked in. After two years of doing what I did, I spoke to the studio manager and said, there is no future in this for me and my family. Can I come out of the dark room? And laughing and joking, he said, there is a vacancy to be a designer, but you have to be able to do it on Monday. I work, I've been in the building industry. I work in a dark room, like a mole, getting around, just finding my way around in the dark. Monday morning, I turned up with my best shirt on. I'm going to be a designer today. But I prayed over the weekend. It was all I could push through. And this was my prayer. And it still keeps me through today. And that is, God, I am not creative, but you are. There was 35 guys. At the end of the first week, he went, I haven't a clue how you've made it, but you've made it. But my promise was, if you can do the job. Week two came, week three. They think there was between 32 and 35, around that number, it's a long time ago now. Guys worked on the boards, been through designers and art workers, they've all been through university college, they've all got the stuff, I've got nothing. At the end, I was the last one standing. They actually made me studio manager of the biggest advertising agency in the world. You've got to do the job on Monday. Okay. Keep growing and adding to your skills. Do something new and scare yourself. <laughs> Don't set a ceiling above your head. You may have hit the limit. Remove the ceiling. The choices we make today will determine our future tomorrow. Whatever you do, do it with dignity and do it with your full heart. If you keep getting overlooked for pay rises, promotions, ask yourself, why? Is it my attitude? Is it my aptitude? Is it my history? Have I just plateaued and I couldn't give a monkeys if you do it or not? Oh, I've been through all of that. Burnt a candle at both ends. Davey can have it. No, I'm not bothered. Is it your people skills? Mostly, I've taught to you. Yes, it is. <laughs> is it your education? Do you know what? I might work all day and think I only came out with an A, a B, a C, and four Ds, whatever it is. There is an opportunity for distance learning for open university, going back to college, learning something new, stretching myself. If you put in your head, I wasn't very good at school. Yeah, you wasn't very good at school, but you're not at school. What can you do? You will amaze yourself and then see how the door of opportunities come widening right, uh, right back open for you. What am I willing to change about me? Answer, not a lot. You see, the thing is, if you are happy with you, you think, why do I need to change? But then we get back to the blind spot. Deal, stop subsidizing the freeloader and tell him there's a problem. 
What is stopping you from being all that you can be? To get to the place, and I'm very blessed, I'm very blessed of being in the position that says, do what you love and love what you do. If you can get to that place, you will never work a day in your life. It's cliche, but it's not. Every day I go and do stuff, and there's not one morning I wake up and I start scratching my head and going, flipping heck, I've got seven hours with Kev. <laughs> so let me reverse that. There is days I rub my head and go, I've got seven hours with Kev. But it's not in the job that we do. I love my job. I do what I love, and I love what I do. But to get there, there may be some toilets on the way. I will tell you this, and on this note, I finish. Some of you may know, most of you know, my oldest boy, Joel. Yeah? Decided that hated college. It was rubbish. Well, he's all right at college. But he, he hated what he did. We got, Angie and I got called in to the college, and we saw the head of the year and the principal of the college, same side. And they said he's either really smart or really dumb. Because he doesn't do any work. So he either thinks he's done enough to get over the line or not. Told us, I hate college. For the final year of college, from November to July, he didn't do one piece of work. He did enough in the first year to get him over the line. Hated it. Took four years off. He said, I hate education. Want nothing to do with education. It was kind of not that he took. He came to us one day, he said, I want to go to university. And that's when you scratch your head and go in, were you not in that meeting at college? <laughs> I was in the meeting at college. And he said this, the responsibility of me going to university will not be yours and mum's. It is my decision, I will go to university. So you kind of go, that's fine, it's, it's honourable, but we'll see how we go. University... Full-time. So, full-time university, which is full-time university. And for four years, worked a 40-hour week, as well as being at university full-time. Slept about half an hour a day. Ate nothing, so he could get as slim as I am. Ish. Came out with a first. Not only to come out with a first, got the job in Manchester, doing what he wanted to do, out of 800 people in the UK, he got the job that came through from there and came out with minimal, and when I say five grand of debt, the guy that he did uni with was nearly 50,000 pounds worth of debt because he paid every bill as he went along. Was willing to clean the toilet before he got and did what he did. Never be afraid of hard work. Never be afraid of getting up in the morning and doing something that says, do we need to tell somebody I'm a postman? There is dignity in labor. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly. Do it with a full heart. Do it as before the Lord, with a smile on your face. And let God be responsible for the rest. Yeah? We talk about how we affect the mountains. One of those mountains is family. When your kids are proud of you because of what you go and do 
and how you do it, it doesn't have to be, my dad's a rocket science. My mum might work in Tesco's, but everybody loves my mum in Tesco's. What life do you carry? If we can do that, then you watch how the mountains will change. Stop saying it's not you. Stop saying it's not today. Stop saying I have to be a politician or run the Bank of England. Just be you with the core that you have and let the new creation realities come to the surface. If it does, the world will take notice. And then we will say to our mountain, move. Let's stand to our feet. Just sorry that I've gone slightly over time. Please forgive me on that. We said we wanted to be, try and be very practical this morning. But that's us. That is our heart. We've already heard this morning as we came in, the lion has walked around and amongst us this morning. And the king is beginning to roar. What is inside of us? Let the response of our hearts be the response that he's looking for. When he sends out a ping, as deep calls to deep, let us respond to it. So let's just close this morning. Let's just raise our holy hands. And we just start to declare this morning, Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, Father, for not only what you've done, but what you're going to do in the lives of your people. Father, we pray that, Lord, as you cause the scales to fall from our eyes, that we can see the opportunities and not just paychecks that go before us. That, Lord God, Father, I pray that you will help us, that you will forgive us, you'll cause us not to live in any form of condemnation about the way that maybe we've done work and the way that we've just gone through the motions. Father, I pray that when we go back into any environment, people will can say, something is different about you. That, Lord God, we're not looking to suck up to the boss, to win friends, to try and just push through things that are not rightly ours. But, Lord God, I pray that may you be represented in wherever we are, in our speech, in our deeds, in our hearts, in our relationships, whatever it is. But, Lord God, Father, we thank you that we sit in the truth of your word. And the truth of your word says, my God, that there is a mountain that sits higher than all. And, Father, we are in Zion. We are on our way to Zion. That, Father, we pray this morning, may the Christ be revealed. Father God, we pray and we declare with all of our strength, my God, Father, that Christ will be revealed, the church will be reformed, and the city will be transformed. That, Lord God, it starts with me. God, cause this mouse to roar. Cause this mouse to roar that when somebody says your stature's nothing, it's not about the numbers that we have. It's not the size that we have, but it's the God that we're connected to. That, Lord God, we believe you, we press into you, and we draw from heaven. May heaven kiss earth again today. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 Bless you guys.